0: This episode discusses suicide. Resources are available to you if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or self harm. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Do you recognize that introduction? If you grew up in the nineteen fifties, you might recall it's the opening of the television series Adventures of Superman based on the comic. The character first appeared in comic books published by DC Comics in 1938. Adventures of Superman, a network television show, became an instant success and ran on ABC between 1952 through 1958. Then, on June 16th, 1959, the man who played the leading role died from what appeared to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound in his upstairs bedroom in Benedict Canyon in Beverly Hills, California. He was 45 years old. Since his death, there have been many rumors about how he died and the events surrounding that night. Did the actor who played Superman kill himself or was he murdered? Welcome to Nightmare Houses. George Kiefer Brewer was born in Woodstock, Iowa on January 5, 1914. He was born five months into his parents' marriage, and they separated soon after his birth. His mother, Helen, moved them from Iowa to Ashland, Kentucky to stay with relatives and later moved to her hometown of Galesburg, Illinois. Finally, his mother moved them to California to stay with her sister. There, she met and married Frank Joseph Basolo in 1927. That same year, Frank adopted George at age 13 as his son, and the boy took on his stepfather's last name, becoming George Bissolo. The Basolo marriage lasted 15 years, ending in divorce, with the couple separating while George was away visiting relatives. When he returned, his mother told him his stepfather had committed suicide, which was not true. Around this time, George began acting and singing in high school and continued performing on stage as a student at Pasadena Junior College. While studying acting at Pasadena Playhouse, Reeves met his future wife, Eleonora Needles, granddaughter of circus magnate John Robinson. They married on September 22, 1940, in San Gabriel, California. George's film career began in 1939 when he took the role of Stuart Tarleton, incorrectly listed in the film's credit as Brent Tarleton, one of Scarlett O'Hara's suitors in Gone with the Wind. It was a minor role, but he and Fred Crane were in the film's opening scene. After Gone with the Wind was filmed, George returned to the Pasadena Playhouse and was given the lead role in the play Pancho. This part directly led to a contract with Warner Brothers. It was Warner Brothers who changed his professional name to George Reeves. He starred in several two real short subjects and appeared in several B-pictures, including two with Ronald Reagan and three with James Cagney, Torrid, The Fighting 69th, and The Strawberry Blonde. These roles did little to advance Reeve's career, and his contract with Warner's ended by mutual consent. Released from his Warner contract, he signed a contract at 20th Century Fox, but was released after only a handful of films, one of which was the Charlie Chan movie, Dead Men Tell. 20th Century Fox loaned him to producer Alexander Korda to co-star with Merle Oberon in Lydia, a box office failure, after which he freelanced, looking to find work in westerns. His friend Teddy Sherman introduced him to her father, producer Harry Sherman, who asked Reeves to do a screen test with Teddy for the Hopalong Cassidy films. Reeves appeared in five Hopalong Cassidy westerns before being cast as Lieutenant John Summers opposite Claudette Colbert in So Proudly We Hail, a war drama for Paramount Pictures, which signed Reeves up for two films a year. However, Reeves was inspired by So Proudly We Hail to put his budding acting career on hold and enlist in the U.S. Army. He was drafted in early 1943 and assigned to the U.S. Army Air Forces. He performed in the U.S. Army Air Forces' Broadway show, Winged Victory. The long Broadway run was followed by a national tour and a movie version. Then, Reeves was transferred to the Army Air Force's first motion picture unit, where he made training films. At the war's end, Reeves was discharged and returned to Hollywood looking for work. However, many studios were slowing down their production schedules, and some production units had shut down completely. As more and more time passed between acting jobs paying less and less, Reeves was reduced to appearing in a low-budget serial produced by Sam Katzman, The Adventures of Sir Galahad, and taking a second job digging cesspools. Reeves, at 6 foot 200 pounds, fit the rugged requirements of certain roles. He did well under rushed production conditions with his retentive memory for dialogue. In 1949, Reeves separated from his wife. Their divorce became final in 1950, and he moved to New York City. He performed on live television anthology programs, as well as on radio, and then returned to Hollywood in 1951 for a role in a Fritz Lang film, Rancho Notorious. In June 1951, Reeves was offered the role of Superman in a new television series, Adventures of Superman. At first, he was reluctant to take the role. Many actors of his time, including Reeves, considered television unimportant and believed few would see his work. The half-hour films were shot on tight schedules. The studio made at least two shows every six days. Reeves' career as Superman began with Superman and the Mole Men, a film intended both as a B-picture and as the pilot for the TV series. Immediately after completing it, Reeves and the crew began production of the first season's episodes, all shot over 13 weeks in the summer of 1951. The series went on the air the following year, and Reeves was amazed at becoming a national celebrity. In 1952, the struggling ABC network purchased the show for national broadcast, which gave them greater visibility. The Superman cast members had restrictive contracts preventing them from taking other work that might interfere with the series. Except for the second season, the Superman schedule is brief about 13 shows shot per week, a total of seven weeks out of a year, but all had a 30-day clause, which meant that producers could demand their exclusive services for a new season on four weeks' notice. The contract prevented long-term work on significant films with long schedules, stage plays that might lead to long runs, or any other series work. Reeves, however, was able to earn additional income from personal appearances. He had affection for his young fans and took his role model status seriously. He avoided smoking cigarettes where children could see him and eventually quit smoking altogether. Reeves managed to keep his private life discreet. However, it was an open secret in Hollywood that he was having a romantic relationship with Tony Mannix, a married former showgirl eight years his senior. Tony, born Camille Bernice Frooms in 1906, was a former Ziegfeld Folly showgirl and was a mistress to Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer General Manager Eddie Mannix in the 1930s before becoming his wife in 1951. In the early 1950s, Reeves had a few sporadic acting assignments in TV anthology programs and two feature films, Forever Female and The Blue Gardenia, both from 1953. However, by the time The Adventures of Superman was airing nationwide, Reeves was so associated with Superman and Clark Kent that it was difficult for him to find other roles. In 1953, Reeves moved into a modest, two-story, wood-shingle New England-style colonial home on Benedict Canyon Drive in Beverly Hills. It appears the house was purchased for him by Tony, but records could not conclusively prove this. The property was originally the site of an old automobile garage for a large home in 1931, but by the 1940s, the property was redeveloped for residential purposes. The 1717-square-foot, two-bedroom, three-bathroom home was built in 1946 and completed in 1947. The house is simple in design, with an attached garage, brown wood siding, and white trim. The most notable features are the central gable dormer windows above the garage and how close the home sits to the street less than 10 feet away. Mr. and Mrs. Monty Factor were the original owners of 1579 Benedict Canyon Drive. The homes in this portion of the neighborhood are modest compared to those in other portions of Beverly Hills. This area was considered a middle-class neighborhood and developed in the 40s and 50s. Monte Montefiore Factor was born in 1917 in St. Louis, Missouri. Monte was the son of Nathan Factor, a Polish immigrant and the nephew of makeup entrepreneur Max Factor. He moved to Los Angeles with his family in the 1920s, apprenticed in the clothing business, and opened his store two years after his marriage in 1945. Monty Factor and his wife were significant supporters of contemporary art in Los Angeles, often trading men's clothes for artwork. In 1947, they started what became known as the Monty Factor Jerry Rothschild, a men's clothing business in Beverly Hills, and the residence on Benedict Canyon appears to have been their first home. In 1952, just five years after building their starter home, the factors listed it for sale or lease. The home had an indoor sauna and an outdoor pool, just the things a budding star would need to rest and relax at the end of the day. During the mid-1950s, Reeves worked tirelessly with Tony to raise money to fight Myasthenia Gravis, a chronic autoimmune disorder. Reeves served as national chairman for the Myasthenia Gravis Foundation in 1955. The two of them likely spent much time in the quaint home on Benedict Canyon, serving as a love nest for the strange pair. After two seasons of Adventures of Superman, Reeves was dissatisfied with his salary and the show's one-dimensional role. He was 40 years old and wanted to quit and move on with his career. The producers looked elsewhere for a new star. Reeves established his own production company and conceived a television adventure series, Port of Entry, to be shot on location in Hawaii and Mexico. Reeves wrote the pilot script himself. However, Superman producers offered him a salary increase and he returned to the series. He reportedly made $5,000 weekly, but only while the show was in production, about eight weeks each year. As for Port of Entry, Reeves was never able to gain financing for the project and never made the show. Adventures of Superman continued to produce six seasons, and the series was often sponsored, such as Stamp Day, by the U.S. Treasury Department and Kellogg's Cereal. In the mid-1950s, Reeves recorded a series of commercials for Kellogg's, including a few in his home on Benedict Canyon. Ironically, one scene placed him in his upstairs bedroom. Attempting to showcase his versatility, Reeves sang on The Tony Bennett Show in August 1956. He appeared as his character Superman on I Love Lucy, episode number 165, Lucy and Superman, in 1957. However, it appeared that, for Reeves, he needed a drastic change in his life, as he had been increasingly despondent about the Superman character he played. Then, seemingly suddenly, Reeves and Tony Mannix split up in 1958. Shortly after, Reeves announced his engagement to New York society playgirl Lenore Lemon. In early April 1959, Reeves was involved in a car accident on Benedict Canyon while he was on his way home when his foreign sports car failed to negotiate a turn. Reeves suffered a concussion and a five-inch gash to his forehead, which required surgery at Cedars of Lebanon Hospital. Executives kept the accident out of the news the best they could. It would be bad publicity if the public knew the man who played Superman, was hurt in real life. In 1959, negotiations began for a renewal of the series, with 26 episodes scheduled to go into production. By mid-1959, contracts were signed, costumes refitted, and new teleplay writers assigned. Things seemed to be turning around for George Reeves. He was apparently scheduled to marry Lemon on June 19, 1959 and then spend the honeymoon in Tijuana. However, he was complaining to friends, columnists, and his mother about financial problems, and the wedding announcement was a surprise to everyone. The planned revival of Superman was a small financial lifeline, but he was still unhappy to reprise the role at age 45. Reeves had hoped to direct a low-budget science fiction film written by a friend from his Pasadena Playhouse days, and he had discussed the project with his first Lois Lane, Phyllis Coates, the previous year. However, Reeves and his partner failed to find financing, and the film was never made. Another Superman stage show was scheduled for July with a planned stage tour of Australia. On Monday, June 15th, and into the early morning of June 16th, George and his fiancée, Lenore Lemon, were at home on Benedict Canyon Drive, hosting an impromptu late-night party. In the home that night were writer Robert Condon, William Bliss, and neighbor Carol von Ronkel. Reeve's former Gone with the Wind colleague and friend, Fred Crane, was there but left earlier in the evening. The details regarding his death that night remain sketchy to this day. The statements the guests gave the Los Angeles Police Department were conflicting. Reeves allegedly retired for the night at one point and came downstairs to complain about the noise, had a quick drink, and retreated to his room in an irritated mood. He returned to his bedroom upstairs, and the downstairs guests heard a gunshot sometime between 1.30 a.m. and 2 a.m. William Bliss discovered George Reeves naked and lying face up on the bed, a gunshot wound to the head, and a pistol at his feet. A single bullet entered his temple and went through to the ceiling above him. The group of friends delayed calling the police, claiming they were shocked and drunk and due to the late hour. In news articles, Lemon attributed Reeves' alleged suicide to depression caused by his failed career and inability to find more work. The report made by the Los Angeles Police states, Reeves was depressed because he couldn't get the sort of parts he wanted. Newspaper and wire service reports quoted LAPD Sergeant V.A. Peterson said, "Miss Lemon blurted, he's probably going to shoot himself. A noise was heard upstairs. She continued, he's opening the drawer to get the gun. A shot was heard. See there, I told you so. The official story given by Lemon to the police placed her in the living room with the party guests at the time of the shooting. Still, hearsay statements from Fred Crane put Lemon either inside or directly in Reeves' bedroom. According to Crane, who was present earlier but not there when the incident occurred, Bill Bliss had told Millicent Trent that after the shot rang out while Bliss was having a drink, that Lenore Lemon came downstairs and said, "'Tell him I was down here. Tell him I was down here.'" Investigators and others reported several questionable physical findings. No fingerprints were recovered from the gun. No gunpowder residue was found on Reeves' hands, though some sources contend that it may not have been looked for as gunshot residue testing was not routinely performed in 1959. The bullet that killed Reeves was recovered from the bedroom ceiling, and the spent shell casing was found under his body. Two additional bullets were discovered embedded in the bedroom floor. All three bullets had been fired from the weapon found at Reeves' feet, though all witnesses agreed they only heard one gunshot and there was no sign of forced entry or other physical evidence that a second person was in the room. Despite the unanswered questions, Reeves' death has officially been ruled a suicide based on witness statements, physical evidence at the scene, and the autopsy report. Reeves' mother thought the ruling premature and retained attorney Jerry Geisler to petition for a reinvestigation of the case as a possible homicide. The findings of a second autopsy conducted at Geisler's request were the same as the first, except for a series of bruises of unknown origin about the head and body. A month later, having uncovered no evidence contradicting the official finding, Geisler announced that he was satisfied that the gunshot wound had been self-inflicted and withdrew. Shortly after his death, rumors began to emerge that Reeves had not killed himself, but that there had been a cover-up. Reeves' mother and fellow actors Alan Ladd and Gig Young were skeptical of the official cause of death. It appears few people in Hollywood believed Reeves had committed suicide. Theories began to center on Tony and Eddie Mannix. Tony, upset about the breakup and the new woman in his life, had her husband, MGM vice president and known Hollywood fixer, have him killed in his bedroom that evening, either by his hand or a professional hit. The only supporting evidence to suggest a homicide came from the fact there were no fingerprints found on the gun, the shell casing from the bullet that entered Reeve's head was located under his back, and there was no gunpowder residue found on his hands. However, it appears that police treated the initial scene as a suicide, and some things were not tested or immediately looked for. Following his death, most of his estate went to his former lover, Tony Mannix, the home on Benedict Canyon being his principal asset. Lenore Lemon thought that George had willed everything to her, but there was no evidence from attorneys that was correct. Tony kept the home and rented it out until 1963. There were rumors that Tony had a hard time getting renters to stay, however, something which Tony seemed to refuse to discuss. Tony listed the home for sale just a few months before her husband died in August 1963. In 1969, it was revealed that former tenants of the residence, while entertaining guests one night in the living room, heard unexplained noises in the house. Meanwhile, the upstairs bedroom, George's old room, had been neat and orderly, but later that night was found to be in complete disarray. Downstairs, the residents found all the drinks on the living room coffee table had been moved to the kitchen. Another instance, the residents found their German shepherd barking at the bedroom door, only to discover the bed had moved across the floor. The final straw for these residents was the claim that at 3 a.m. one early summer morning, the apparition of Reeves was seen, dressed in a Superman costume, in the downstairs living room. The residents claimed that this was their tipping point and moved out shortly after. Other reports since then also claim the ghost of George Reeves has been seen walking around upstairs in his home at night. The home has sold several times since the 1970s and continues to be privately owned. Homeowners have since renovated the kitchen and bathrooms, but the exterior looks remarkably similar to when it was first built. Reeves is interred at Mountain View Cemetery and Mausoleum in Altadena, California. In 1960, Reeves was awarded a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame on Hollywood Boulevard for his contributions to the TV industry. He was posthumously named one of the honorees by DC Comics in the company's 50th anniversary publication, 50 Who Made DC Great, in 1985. Tony Mannix died a wealthy widow, having never remarried in 1983 at the age of 77. Lenore Lemon attempted to claim a share of Reeves' estate without any success. She returned to New York, where she lived for the remainder of her life. She briefly became a nurse in the early 1960s, but by the end of the decade, she was bartending. Lemon spent the last few years in alcoholic dementia. Her body was found in her New York apartment on January 4, 1990. She likely died 5 days earlier on December 30, 1989. She was 66 years old. Once Reeves became Superman, it seemed he was doomed to be typecast, and his seemingly failing career and studio control may have impacted him significantly. Reeves was a known heavy drinker and likely drank to excess the night he died along with his house guests. He was mentally in a bad place, with the drinking only exacerbating his negative feelings. Perhaps George Reeves, who seemed he had lost control of his own life, took the only control he had by ending it. We will never know what happened that night, but the man who played Superman on TV died tragically in his home that June night. In trying to escape the character he played in life, he unintentionally bound himself to the role eternally. It seems that the original ruling of suicide is the official cause, but there will always be a shadow of a doubt over his death. But today, we continue pursuing truth, justice, and the American way. Thank you for listening to Nightmare Houses. For more information, including references and images, please visit www.nightmarehouses.com. Until next time, goodbye.